Hello, and God bless you. This is Pastor Jeremy, and what a delight to be with you once again on this Tuesday, October 27 of 2020. We want to welcome all of our listeners, wherever you're tuning in from. We are so glad and honored that you can join us today as we study the Word of God together. Um, we have been in such a beautiful journey in the Word of God, examining uh, the book of Acts in in manifold ways, but especially in the in the prophetic. And we are seeing these parallels that 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 God is allowing us to see and examine that are speaking into our lives. As right before we get started here in our podcast, I want you just to continue to help us pray. Uh, uh, as of now, as of today, concerning the fires that are happening in the Orange County, uh, we now have over 100,000 people being evacuated just in that uh, in that section. And it's interesting because uh, ever since March, when these fires began, it seems like it's been just one after another, and it hasn't stopped. You know, the fires have not ceased to stop maybe here and there, but a day or two, maybe. But I think they've been continuous, whether in this section, the north, south, it's been everywhere. And some fires have come again to the same spots. And so uh, these are all telling signs to us. These are signals, signals of judgment that are upon our nation. We don't say this with, with a happy heart. But we understand that all of these are just signals of what is still to come to our nation. So let us be praying. Let us be praying for the people, many people losing their homes, many people uh, very affected by these fires. Continue to pray for our fire people, those that, that work in the emergency response, all of those people that risked their lives. And we, we must honor that. Whether they know Jesus or not, we honor uh, the sacredness of life, and we pray that that God will protect them as they go and uh, sacrifice and put their lives in dangers for others like us to be safe and sound. Today in our panel, we have uh, Brother Marty and Brother Fernando joining us. As always, it is a pleasure and an honor to be able to study the Word of God together. So, Brother Marty. We will continue in our journey as we've been in uh, so many things uh, yesterday. Uh, just uh, it was one of those one of those podcasts where even after it was done, we we just sat and, and meditated. You know, as the Lord inspired you and, and us, all of us, to bring forth uh, the things that were said concerning the condition of our nation. But uh, I know today God has something fresh. It's fresh in, in the spirit, and God wants to speak to us today. So I'll leave it to you, Brother Marty, to share what God has placed in your heart as we study the Word of God together. Amen. We are coming to our 13th podcast as we're studying Paul's journey to Athens, uh, and we're almost there. Uh, we've come to the 16th chapter where we've begun to dig deeper into prophetic understanding and the multiple layers that are hidden and intertwined within the historical events that are recorded throughout the scripture. Uh, we encourage you, if you're just joining us, to go back and listen to the last three or four podcasts, actually, to bring you up to speed and to fill in 
maybe certain keys that you might need to understand how it is that we're approaching the scripture. And as we've seen in chapter 16 of the book of Acts, we have uh, three particular stories uh, that are recorded by St. Luke as inspired by the Holy Spirit. The very sentence structure itself, the very descriptive words uh, and symbolic metaphoric words that Luke uh, was inspired to use um, are very much uh, launching pads for deeper understanding in the testimony of Jesus Christ, which is the spirit of prophecy. So we're working our way through uh, these stories, and we're we're really in the middle now of the second story, headed to uh, a midnight where Paul and Silas will find themselves in prison. And much of what we are seeing and the flow of it uh, is a foreshadow, uh, a metaphor, an allegory, whatever words you want to use, um, that can be <clears throat> can be seen and discovered uh, in the very book of Revelation itself. And so without getting into uh, the, the deeper uh, principles of biblical interpretation and the lens that we use to extract these truths by the grace of the Holy Spirit teaching us, that's why we encourage you to go back and listen to the last several podcasts, which will bring you up to speed. But for, for those of you that have been with us, we continue to go forward, and we're going to have Brother Jeremy begin our study today, <laughs> reading out of the book of Acts, chapter 16, as we look into the Word of God. And Brother Jeremy, could you start us off today by reading chapter 16, verse 17 and 18, and we will get into our study in Jesus' name. Brother Jeremy. Amen. The same followed Paul and us, and cried, saying, These men are the servants of the Most High God, which show unto us the way of salvation. And this did she many days. But Paul, being grieved, turned and said to the Spirit, I command thee in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out the same hour. Paul, being grieved, turned and said to the Spirit, I command thee in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out the same hour. Very interesting how uh, St. Luke distinguishes uh, the, the, the Spirit itself as, as being a particular personality. He calls him a he. And as we've discussed, that Spirit that was inhabiting this woman um, is that that spirit of the dragon. That's literally what it is. In the Greek, it's the spirit of python. That's where we get our, our word for the snake, the python snake. But we've covered that at length. <clears throat> but what we, what we began to see and what we have been seeing is this woman emerges in the narrative of chapter 16 in the, in the account of chapter 16 after our attention has been drawn to one uh, known as Lydia. And her name meaning travail, one who travails, who who uh, constrains the spirit of Christ in Paul and Timothy and Silas and Luke to, to come into her house. And as we talked about yesterday, this is a foreshadow. This is a metaphor. It, 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 it's showing us prophetically what would occur in the last days and will and is indeed occurring as we're talking right now all over the world. Lydia goes into her house and for the balance of chapter 16, she's no longer mentioned. And we talked about this yesterday of, uh, as that representing a church in the, in the end time that will be hidden and secluded uh, by the Spirit of God and protected 
in this time. And then as she uh, is off the scene, so to speak, Lydia, this certain damsel emerges having a spirit of divination. And as we looked uh, and have discussed, this woman is a foreshadow of that, of that mother of harlots, that, that whore of Babylon that is found in Revelation chapter 17 and chapter 18, where you can read at length concerning her. And so this woman with the spirit of divination is a, is a foreshadow of that. She represents that to us, prophetically speaking. And as we, as we looked at, she clothes herself in the garments of the church. Revelation chapter 17, uh, verse 15. Can you read that to us, Brother Jeremy? Revelation 17, 15, I think it is. Yes. Where it gives her characteristics, this spirit. And the type that she is. Uh, Revelation seventeen fifteen, where it speaks about the waters. Uh, let's see. No, I'm sorry. It's Revelation seventeen four. Four. Okay. Mm-hmm. And the woman was arrayed in purple, in scarlet color, and decked with gold and precious stones and pearls, having a golden cup in her hand full of abominations and filthiness of her fornication. So the spirit of Babylon uh, clothes itself in the garments of the church. And and this same woman that we're seeing here in Acts chapter uh, 16, uh, she she represents that spirit of Babylon. Uh, and, and really, like we talked about yesterday, even though she clothes herself in the garments of the church, she's a false church. She's controlled by a false spirit. And as it relates to Babylon and that the mother of harlots, that spirit has been moving through the ages of human history. And we discussed that yesterday when we talked about that spirit uh, really first emerging uh, in the Garden of Eden when, when, when the woman Eve uh, was seduced by the serpent. And, and she then became a seductress for her husband. And, and he partook of the fruit and, and plunged the entirety of, of humanity into the situation that we have today. But, but that spirit has been moving since the garden. And, and then we talked about seeing it again emerging after the flood when, uh, when we have the story of Nimrod and Simiramis and Tammuz at the Tower of Babel in the plains of Shinar. We see it again moving through um, the nation of Egypt with Pharaoh, a uh, foreshadow of the Antichrist, Egypt, a type of the global system that would emerge in the last days. And the people of God coming up under the subjection of that and the deliverance that would take place. But that spirit of Babylon was manifested in Egypt as, as ISIS. That's who they venerated. That's who they worshipped. It then went over to uh, the Babylonians. Uh, it took on another name. Uh, the Babylonians called her Ishtar. The Assyrians also called her Ishtar. The Persians called her Anahita. And the Greeks knew her as Aphrodite. And the Romans venerate her as Venus when she gets to uh, <laughs> when she gets to the book of Revelation as in her fullness as John Caesar. She's simply just called the mother of harlots. And that's that spirit that we see emerge here. She's a mixture of 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 uh you know, like like paganism and and a pseudo 
a spirituality, uh, you know, a, a church, a, a false church, really. And she seeks to attach herself uh, to the gospel. That's how we know she's she's a false representation of the church controlled by a demonic spirit, a demonic presence. And we see that in, in, uh, in verse 17. Uh, can you read that about her, uh, Brother Jeremy? Yes, in verse 17. Acts 16, Is this for, Oh, Acts 16, I'm sorry. Yes, mm-hmm. it's the, the same followed Paul and us. And Christ saying, these men are the servants of the most high God, which show, us, which show unto us the way of salvation. So the Holy Spirit has Luke uh, first identify her as being possessed with the spirit of divination. And we, we've talked about that's the spirit of the dragon, the spirit of the snake. But it's what's interesting is that in verse 17, she seeks to attach herself to the men of God and to validate the gospel that they preach. She's a deceiver. She's a seducer. In this story that actually happened, we're actually witnessing a miniature type of what the book of Revelation reveals some 2,000 years later will, uh, is what she becomes. But that same spirit continues to flow uh, through the scriptures. And, and what's interesting to me is, and, and what's of note is, is how she has the ability to exist uh, within the system. In fact, she's managed and handled by the system. Because remember, they're not by the river here, right? As we've been looking at when Paul and Silas and Timothy and Luke first meet Lydia and the other women, they're outside the city by the river. Here we're simply told that they were on their way to pray, but they hadn't reached the river yet. So they're in the city. And this woman is, 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 uh, is trying to validate the gospel that they preach. So she represents a system within the city, and and she's allowed to exist within that system. Now, what's interesting is is really she's managed and handled by the system, and we actually see that in verse 16 when it speaks about her masters. Can you read that part, Brother Jeremy? Yes. And what verse is that? 16. 16. Okay. Sorry about that. It says, and it came to pass that as we went to prayer, a certain damsel possessed with a spirit of divination met us, which brought her masters much gain by soothsaying. Yeah, and and really that's more about her ability to utter prophetic things, pseudo-prophetic things. They're not, you know, it's she might hit or miss, but she's, She's obviously uh, controlled by a true demonic spirit. And so she's, yes. You know, I I just wanted to say, uh, as I was meditating this morning, you know, I'm going to say something that's going to be obvious, but it it just really hit me that that same spirit of divination that was upon this, this, this girl is the same one that is moving within the circles of Christianity, charismatic Pentecostal circles, right? That's what I call it. They call it prophecy. They call it a, a word, but it's really divination. And really, it's a hit or miss. And, right. And they're not ashamed to tell you that. You know what I'm saying? Uh, let right. me give you an example. Uh, you know, just uh, about a week ago, we, we had our, our, you know, our president visit a church, and, and someone gave him a prophetic word, you know, the wife of the pastor. And, and then after, <laughs> a few days later, they asked him about it. 
And he says, look, I was really proud that my wife, I'm, I'm paraphrasing, that my wife gave him gave him a prophetic word. I mean, she doesn't really do that. I mean, she's really quiet. She doesn't really go out like that. But, you know, in, even if she's wrong, hey, at least she tried. At least, you know, she gave it her best. I'm like, wow. wow. Yeah. You know, and, and, and I just wanted to bring that up. It, it, a spirit of divination is moving in our ministerial circles, in the church today. The same one that was active in the days of Paul. You know, it looked right. It sounded spiritual, right? As you said, it, it, it was locked in. She was wrapping herself, her divination, her practices with the gospel, right? They took yeah. the way of salvation. And I think that's the very thing that's been happening and it's happening today in our churches. Oh, absolutely. And that's a good point. And, and that, that goes right along with what we're talking about because we're talking about these, these early records of historical events uh, foreshadowing um, and, and becoming metaphors of prophetic truths that, that we'll find ourselves uh, experiencing in its fullness at the end of time. See, the scripture, as we've talked about at length many, many times, tells us that 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 which has occurred in in the beginning will occur in the end you know he says uh, he declares the 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 end from the beginning and from ancient times the things that are yet to come to pass so it's a biblical principle a lens that's applied to interpretation so what brother jeremy's talking about is exactly uh what we see happening today and and how we're uh taking the inspiration of these recorded events they are prophetic in nature. And as we talked about, the specific uh, parallels with the book of Revelation are uncanny, uh, as we've discussed at length. And so what we see here is a type of that mother of harlots. And and notice what it says in verse 16, um, that it, it says that her masters brought, uh, I mean, that she brought her masters much gain which brought her masters much gain, verse 16. So to put that into modern terminology and what Brother Jeremy was just talking about, what we're seeing today, as a matter of fact, Brother Jeremy, you made me think that's a good point you brought out or a good example you brought out when the president was in the, that church in Las Vegas uh, and the ridiculous display that took place there with right. these people. Uh, when I saw the pastor come down to to introduce himself or to give the president the microphone, he prophesied over the president as well, pseudo prophecy, and then promoted his own book. Yeah, I saw that. Did you see that? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, oh uh, man, thank God he's humble. I mean, right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was thinking the same thing. I said, here, this is the guy who wrote the art of the deal, right? The president, and you're going to give him your book. But anyway, so <laughs> I just. But so so what do we see here in verse 16 is that she is a type of a of a of a false church governed by a different spirit in the end of time comfortably existing within the city within the system and it says that she has masters and that they make much gain from her and in meditating on that that is exactly like today's church because see this 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 damsel with the spirit of divination, we can put it in modern language and say she was managed and and controlled, you know, by these masters. That's what she's called, and it reminded me of today's church, uh, because she's managed and controlled the false church today. 
you know, by how would you say it? Compromised power brokers. <laughs> you know, a, a cacophony of of high priced law firms and marketing executives and poll takers and trend analysts, agents that manage book deals and conference engagements and all for a percentage of the take, man. You know, otherwise known as what we call love offering. I mean, that is what the church is about today. I've been there. You brothers know that. I don't, I don't need to, like, prove it to anybody, but I've been there. I've been behind the scenes at some major league players in this country, uh, in the ministry. I've seen their inner workings. I've seen compromise at a level that, that would just astound you. And, and you know, <laughs> like I said, they're, they surround themselves with, with managers, with masters. It's a give and a take. Remember what it says about the spirit of Babylon, because it's gripped the American church and the church throughout the West. But it's come to rest in this country, because by and large, if you go through Europe now and throughout the West, it, it's just so fully compromised that, that they don't even believe in God anymore. I mean, I think I read a statistic the other day that it was 9%, 5 to 9% of the people in Europe actually attend church on Sundays. You know, yeah. 9%, 5%. And uh, it's become a, a, a post-Christianized Europe. But yeah. but America has blossomed into this kind of compromised, uh, you know, a corporatized uh, religious thing that wraps itself in a in a in a pseudo patriotism and 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 stamps itself with the cross and claims to be you know uh legitimize itself with the gospel but it's but but she she's controlled she has managers mm-hmm. you know i've been around these guys man they they surround themselves with like i said high priced law firms you know they have they have these incredibly powerful accounting firms and law firms to to bring them right up to the edge you know so that they can exist on on millions and millions of dollars in offerings they hire marketing executives to teach them how to package their their books and their CDs and and their message you know yeah. they, they 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 hire uh they hire those guys that take polls to 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 stick their finger in the wind and see which way the wind is blowing you know, so they can craft uh, their message. They can uh, make their pre- presentation to the public with with the whole idea of analytics driving it. You know, so that they 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 know how to to hook the people and bring them in. They're seducers. Right. And remember the, right. the 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 whore that's described in the Book of Revelation. You know, what is a whore? She sells herself. For gain, right? What she really wants. Were you gonna say something, brother? You know, many years ago we had the controversy with that uh, that that book from Rick Warren, the Purpose Driven, right? Church yes. and and how how he start started his church in Saddleback, you know, and and and, and creating a church that fits the mold what people wanted to see, right? Yes. And, and and it just brings me to to mind. You keep using the word seduce, seduce. You know, Eve was seduced, and it's interesting mm-hmm. that when Jesus speaks in Matthew twenty four, 
you know, yes, he speaks about wars, rumors of wars, false Christ, but the first thing that he tells us is, take heed that no one deceive you. Right? And that's what's that's taking place. You know, and, and mm-hmm. I think that's very telling that Jesus, that it, it's not wars, rumors, of, it's the first thing that he would tell his disciples, take heed that no one deceive you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's really yeah. good. And, and that's true. And and and, uh, and and what he emphasizes there is in connection with the last days, right? He actually, yeah. actually, he mentions yeah. false prophets. I think if we look at Matthew 24, he mentions false prophets and deception probably more than anything else. <laughs> I mean, and, you know, uh, if it were possible, they would deceive the very elect, right? False prophets, false Christ, take heed that no man deceive you. He's constantly emphasizing in the last days uh, this this spirit of deception and seduction uh, within the church that would seek uh, to anesthetize it, to put it to sleep. Another interesting point here, going in the in 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 the interpretative way that we are dealing with end time events, what we are gleaning from here, is notice that that she makes her appearance. Uh, when God has secured Lydia in the house, right, and 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 it's almost as if they they run concurrently. She comes out, uh, this woman with the spirit of div- divination. She's identified as being a source of economic enrichment for her masters. She's she's used uh, in order to to bring gain and she loves to have it so right uh, especially in the book of revelation when she's fully seen she she is that brazen uh, seductress and the bible calls her that that she has caused the whole world uh to be seduced uh by her wares and that she is an incredibly consumer driven uh spirit but what's interesting here is that she makes her appearance precisely at this time, identifying herself with the gospel in chapter 17. And, and, and she comes into the story narrative of chapter 16 right in the middle. And the ultimate thing that's going to happen to her, which we see in type uh, and what actually happened when the Apostle Paul cast this spirit out of her what's interesting is that she just kind of fades into the background of history she's no longer present but we're not told that she ever got saved right she just goes off the scene and that's the same flow that we see in the book of revelation when it's dealing with the whore of babylon she comes to the forefront and then she's dealt with and the bible as we read yesterday i think it's chapter 18 verse 8 where it says strong is the lord who judges her we see that same exercise of God's judgment flowing through the Apostle Paul when he finally when he finally deals with that spirit. But I want to talk a little bit more about what we're talking about, uh, what you've mentioned already and, and what we've discussed off air before we even came or what we actually see taking place. We believe uh, uh, that that spirit of, of Babylon has come to rest in this nation itself. That 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 the culmination of the ages has come to rest here and that it has taken residence within a establishment system 
the the ruling elite primarily driven by the the charismatic pentecostal wing of the protestant establishment in this country who would have ever thought you would see franklin graham and paula white uh you know linking arms uh <laughs> at all ever you know in the circles of the church but you, but and I'm not demeaning Franklin Graham. He does great work with Samaritan's Purse. But I'm just talking about where we are. That these two could could be uh, establishment bedfellows, if you will. What were you going to say, brother? You're talking about because of their different backgrounds, right? You know, yeah. one's charismatic and the other one back. Is that right? That's you know, but yeah. yet they're together, right? <laughs> but but they're you together. Know, I, I'm, I'm, you know, I, I'm not calling Brother Graham, but, uh, you know, what, what I'm going to say, but you, in the times of Jesus, remember, uh, and again, I'm just using this as an example. Uh, remember the Pharisees, the Hero- Herodians, right? They didn't get along. <laughs> right. Right. But but when it came to, but they did come together when it came to, to try to, you know, they had a, to confront Jesus. Right. And, and but so, so I know what, so what you're saying is, you know, Brother Graham and, and then this lady, Paula White, two different, ba- but yet <laughs> you wouldn't see them linked any other place, right? No, no. <laughs> you wouldn't be, be, they wouldn't be going to the same churches, right? Right, exactly. I mean, you've got Robert Jeffries from the Baptists in Dallas. You've got yeah. Jack Graham from South Carolina. You've got Franklin Graham. You've got Paula White. And you got uh, Maldonado. <laughs> Maldonado. I mean, these are these are crazy people with with respected people. But they're mingling. Yeah, it's a it's right. a spirit of seduction, and it's come up under the guise of a political agenda. It's as if these these better men woke up and realized just how precariously we've come to the edge of the cliff as this nation, and 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 in their calculations, they. They they hearken to a better day when 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 there was truth true things like patriotism and and mom and baseball and apple pie man I mean it just doesn't exist anymore <laughs> and it's just, it's as if we woke up one day and said oh my God we're in danger of losing the country well that happened about thirty years ago what we're witnessing now is a thorough corruption of every single system there is. We were discussing that off air, uh, just how bad things have actually gotten in whatever, whether it's the intelligence community of the CIA, the NSA, the OSA, or or the NSA, or the FBI. We've seen thorough corruption in what they call the deep state, whether it's the compromised uh, congressional offices or the halls of the Senate. Uh, it's filled with corruption and backroom cigar-filled closets with fat cats making deals at the expense of the common guy who suffers and just tries to scrape enough, you know, money together to pay his light bill and maybe buy some extra tennis shoes for his kid. You know, the the, the despair and the gap between the power brokers and the regular people has never been greater. In this country, 
that wraps itself in pearl, purple and costly apparel and, and, and purports itself to be a Judeo-Christian nation. Now, there is a real church. That's who Lydia represents. She's in the house. You can read it in verse 14 and 15 if you're just joining us. She's been secured there. But she's taken out of the public square and goes into a stealth mode in the end of time. She's protected by the Spirit of God. And precisely when that begins to happen, the, it's almost as if the, the, full, the full flight fruit of the Spirit of Babylon manifests itself in a mighty way according to the book of Revelation, in the end of time, and she has to come forward. She's going to have to be judged. She's the culmination of centuries and millennia of, of the outflow of this spirit of divination. And that is exactly what we're seeing revealed here to those who have eyes to see and ears to hear in this historical narrative penned by Luke under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And she attaches herself to the, to the gospel. What were you going to say, brother? Brother, you know, uh, this, you know, you just made me think because we started the story, right? How Paul wanted to go to Asia, right? And the spirit, you know, constrains him or does not allow him, forbids him to go, the Bible says. Right. But brings him, you know, by a vision to Macedonia. And so he goes to this city, Philippi. Philippi. Now, why didn't Paul, you know, Paul could have started a church in another way. He could have just began to, to speak in the plaza or, or whatever and, and draw people. But no, Paul is driven to this group of women, right? And yes. and, and and we see that he literally, I think he was brought there for that one, Lydia, yes. who represents mm-hmm. the church, you know, and that's by design of what you're saying. It's by design of the Holy Spirit to show us something. That while there were other women, as we brought up yet brought out yesterday, while there was other women there, but only one was was uh, constrained them, and 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 it was one whom the Lord opened her heart, who was attent- uh, um, attentive to what Paul was declaring. Yeah. And, and so, in that. That that brings us to today. That's what is happening. There is a Lydia out there that God is is grabbing a hold that represents a remnant church, and then you see what you called right. What follows in concurrency is in in concurrent being concurrent is now after comes Lydia, right? Excuse yeah, me. Yeah. The the damsel, the damsel. But what I'm trying to say is how the Holy Spirit. Um, drew Paul to Philippi, Philippi, because there was one there by the name of Lydia, amongst the rest of the women that prayed. They gathered, but only one was attentive to the words yes. of the Apostle Paul. You know, I, I just and, and no, and that's 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 the flow. That's what we're talking about, and and it's good to to, to refresh on that because. Again, as we saw earlier on in that first account, when they go outside the city to the river, and we talked about the adjectives that Luke uses to construct his sentences while he's relaying what's actually happening to them, is right. by design of the Spirit to alert us to deeper truth as it pertains to the testimony of Jesus, which is the spirit of prophecy, right? And we're talking about what are we learning from this? 
you point out well that these women, which uh, throughout scripture, women have been likened to the church, right? The bride of Christ, the 10 virgins, we can go on and on, the Song of Solomon, you know, the, the uh, women represent churches. They all came out of the city, these group of women to the river, which is a type of the Holy Spirit, where they listened to the word of God preached by Paul. And even though they were all there, like you said, only one uh, caught the attention of the Holy Spirit. Her characteristics uh, were that she came out of Thyatira, which we talked about at length, what that meant. She's a worshiper of God, which we pointed out by the Spirit of God that worship is the chief component to hearing. Because it says she worshiped God and she hears the word. And because she hears the word, the Lord goes on to open her heart. And then her and her entire house are saved or brought into a deeper fellowship with the Lord, so to speak. So we talked about that. And then she goes into her house constraining the men of God to 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 stay with them and 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 to minister to them. But it's that constraining part that you emphasized yesterday, that cry of the heart, that demand of the on the spirit. That, that we're being taught here. Now, what's interesting is that as we get to this damsel with the spirit of, of divination, what we have literally been seeing then is the sifting away of, of those who aren't like a Lydia, the securing away of Lydia and her in her house. And then she disappears from the chapter. And this is how the spirit speaks at different levels that we might glean something. Why is this important for our day? Because there's really two voices and two competing opinions. If you walk within the realm and the circle of the church, there's the, there's the one side of the church that's talking about this whole situation that we find ourselves in in 2020, the pandemic, the riots, the burning down of churches, the political climate, the corruption, everything. You know, throw it all in the natural disasters, the fires. I mean, we can just I mean, we can go down the list. It's been quite a year, but but and then and then the proclamation at a global level of of the world being pushed into a a system that has already been framed in and the foundations have been well laid over the last multiple decades really that have led us to this point. And so there's two competing voices that are occurring. One is telling us that we need to rebel against the man, you know, take our rights and go you know, go do our thing, sue the government so we can meet in our building. And then there's the other side that is saying it's quite possible that God is using this opportunity to truly secure his real uh, people in this hour, the true worshiper, the true, like Lydia, travailer, the one that will constrain him uh, and the spirit of God to, to abide in her house. This is a remnant church, like you said so well, Brother Jeremy. And we need to pay attention to the fact that she disappears from the story once her narrative is explained to us. And I think what we are witnessing in our time is just that. And you're going to have to make the decision for yourself, those of you that are listening out there. What is the Spirit of God telling you? Because what I believe that he's telling us and has been telling us is that we have entered into a, into a situation within the culture that we find ourselves living in these prophetic times, that we need to recognize that, that what we are witnessing are the beginning throes of a judgment that's ultimately going to culminate on this damsel 
the spirit of divination that has gripped this nation and wrapped itself in Judeo-Christianity, pseudo-Judeo-Christianity, controlled by masters comfortable navigating itself within the city and the system. Now, I know that's a lot, but we're speaking by the spirit. And if you can hear it, you can hear it. God is securing away his true believers right now. I am giving you the advice. My brothers are giving you the advice. And we believe we have at least the leading of the spirit in this kind of a statement. Now is not the time to go out there and stick your head into the, into the flow of what's going on in the culture right now. You draw yourself into that place of hiding that the spirit has you. Lay low and protect your family right now. And, and, and you're going to be safe. Now, once she is secured away, this spirit comes out in this woman, representing uh, this, the, the spirit of Babylon, really, that the book of Revelation speaks to us about. She's a false church. She looks like a church, but she's not. And that's why she identifies herself with chapter uh, verse 17, where she, she plainly says, it says, the, the same follow Paul and us, and she's crying, these are the servants of God, and, and they're preaching the gospel. She wants to I, attach herself to it. And this is exactly what's happened to the gospel over the last several decades. A seducing spirit has tried to attach itself, and has indeed, and it has masters, like she did. And we talked about that. In our time, like I said, I went down the list. To me, they represent high-priced law firms, marketing executives, poll takers, trend analysts, agents who handle preachers and, and the writers of our religious books. They, they create conferences, and they have corporate sponsors, and, and it's all about money. She's handled all for a percentage. <laughs> and we call them love offerings, right? You know, and, 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 and everybody's on the take. I'm talking about high levels now. At the highest places of, of the religious establishment. And then, of course, like we were talking earlier, brothers, uh, there's the preachers themselves. They've built their own kingdom in the name of Jesus over the years. Really, they, they, they've created modern-day Annas and Caiaphases, if you ask me. Religious crime families, that's what I call them. <laughs> I don't think you heard what I said. <laughs> yeah, close to it. <laughs> Any thoughts? <laughs> this one, you know, that's this what, I mean, you said, you said crime families. I mean, that's exactly. And, and the evidence is out there. It's not yeah. like, you know, we don't know anything about what they're doing. They're, they're getting caught in scandals. Uh, you're seeing their 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 moral failures on live television. They're constantly every week. It seems like someone's apologizing for something they did. You know, uh, you just had you just had uh, two major preachers uh, settle a dispute over some church uh, mm. just a couple of days ago. You know, and they were fighting, and they they came to some kind of money settlement where. Uh, the, the church there can stay, and uh, they're going to have their own little, uh, I don't know, campus somewhere in the area. There, um, this happened in, I think, uh, North Carolina or South Carolina. Oh yeah, yeah. South Carolina. Yeah. 
Yeah. I think I read about that. And, and yeah, and the, and the same preacher, uh, he's, he's apologizing for his second scandal. So um, yeah, yeah, no, no, that's exactly what they are. It's crime families, and they're going to be judged more severely than yeah. any politician because these are the men that handle the word of God. Mm-hmm. Yes. Right. And they have caused this woman, this this woman, which they represent that apostate church, yes. to become like that, mm-hmm. right? And we see yeah. the apostle Paul bringing the true gospel to Lydia, and she submits herself to that, yeah. right? But we see this 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 woman that has a spirit of divination. She's she's out there, she's exposing yeah. herself completely out of order, right? And it's no wonder that one of the, the main <laughs> the, the main advisors to the president, if not the main advisor to the president, is a woman. Yes, mm-hmm. interesting, isn't it? Point. <laughs> Incredible. Okay. It, yeah, it, and it, it, it does remind, it reminds me of Annas and Caiaphas in the days of Christ. Uh, like, right. like we said, religious crime families. You know, in, who who created instead of houses of prayer, they've turned the house of God into a den of thieves. That's what Jesus said, right? You know, yeah. you, you've you, you've turned my. We were talking about this before we went on air today. You know what what we've seen happen, what, the decline of 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 the uh, of the moral authority at, at the highest level, and what they gave to our generation, what they morphed. Uh, you know, a church into where 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 the pressure even filtered down to uh, you know the smaller churches of the 50s and you know 75 people in the congregation, highly influenced by the big big wigs that they see on satellite television. So that even our our presentation of the gospel becomes one of of like some some miniature coffee house on the side or you know some off-broadway play i mean everything is presented in in the in the theatrical and the more theatrical and the more skilled you are at uh you know at entertaining and and stringing together a few few good words you know to move people's hearts the more the more uh successful you become you know i mean and, right. and you and you know well, your latest book your latest cd you know whatever uh, you know, how many likes do you have on Facebook, your ministry websites? It's all disgustingly marketed out and it's handled by 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 corporate power that's meshed itself right. with the church and right. turned what was meant to be the gospel uh, of simple salvation <laughs> through faith on and on and on uh, into into a corporate monolith that has sucked the people dry and turned the house of God into a, a, a house of corporations and a den of thieves. Right. See, these, these, these people, we call them religious crime families because I've seen it, trust me, we've seen it through the years. Uh, you know, they, they, their, their whole goal is ego-driven. You know, they, they create legacies for their family name instead of Jesus institutions dedicated to their own names. They even name Bibles after themselves. 
Wow. Goodness. <laughs> God help us all. Brother Jeremy, I, I'm sorry. I, I can't buy that Bible, that Jeremy Estrada edition. I, I just can't do it. <laughs> it's only 100 bucks. It's only 100 bucks. <laughs> and you'll sign it for Look, me, right? And I'll sign it with a verse for you, really. You know, uh, we're talking about this damsel uh, that was possessed with a spirit of divination who, as you said, Brother Marty, wants to attach itself to these men of God, right? And we see that that happens constantly, yeah. constantly. Every time there's a move of God or a word or, you know, God wants to use a man of God, we've seen them. Maybe he writes a book that's very tremendous, prophetic. The church goes and attaches itself to it. And, and it, what it does, it, what's the word I want to use? It squeezes out the anointing of the word from it. Or, or even yeah. a pastor, as we saw, right, the, the other day, you know, with, with dreams and that, that seem, man, oh, God, that they look like they were, they're from God. But what happens, people attach themselves to it, right? Mm-hmm. Always when yeah. there's a move of God, the enemy is always lurking. I remember in the early 90s, brothers, and we got to pray for this brother, but he was a, a, a African-American preacher who uh, sadly uh, no longer uh, preaches the gospel but he said something that I will never forget. He was speaking, uh, he used to hold these conferences, uh, you know, with predominantly uh, our, our African-American brothers. And he says, anytime, he said, I'm, I'm paraphrasing, he says, anytime there is a move of God, uh, you know, why does the black church turn it into a civil rights movement? You get what I'm saying? <laughs> and, and, and that's a powerful statement. It's, it's a powerful statement because, that, that's just an example. I'm trying to use this as an example to tell you, you know, God sometimes gives a word to somebody, but what do we do? The, the church comes and it, it, it tries, to, it attaches itself to it. And it, and it brings, it squeezes out whatever it had, the presence, the anointing from it. And, and we see that constantly happen. That, that's what I wanted to bring out as, as you know, how, which, what we're talking about. The church is always trying to, to squeeze out and attach itself, right? <laughs> yeah, to a true word from God. Well, and 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 if you think God. about it, if you think about it in verse seventeen, why did she follow them? Why was she saying these things? If we take it in and apply it to 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 understanding of our time, it's because there is no legitimacy apart from from the true gospel. You know, if she didn't mm. have herself attached to it, she wouldn't look legitimate. It'd be obvious what she is. But because mm. she tries to identify herself with the real gospel, she suddenly becomes a seductress. As a matter of fact, that is the spirit of the harlot, right? This is the church in the city, so to speak, right? Uh, that's what she's become. But see, she she attaches herself to a, the gospel, and it is really a complex, uh, interesting dynamic as it pertains to true spiritual warfare. I think Paul began to, uh, in in some measures, enlarge his understanding, which he would later write when he talks about we wrestle not against flesh and blood. You remember how he would write that to put on the whole armor of God? Because he recognized what was really inner. You know, in verse, uh, like we said, in verse 17, she attaches herself to the gospel. In verse 18, it says, uh, as it pertains to our our prophetic understanding of this, that she does this in verse 18 for many days. 
Mm-hmm. Right? It, it, it mm-hmm. speaks of lengths of time. Now, check this out, because it goes on to say, but Paul, being grieved, turned and said to the spirit, the true spirit behind this false woman. What do we see here by that, brothers? We see that a couple of things. Um, note, it, it, it's, it's Paul that discerns it. He discerns it. And and what this, I was thinking about this this morning, I said, well, this should alert us to the danger of the age that we're living in, right? Because it wasn't just Paul that was there. Uh, it was us, right? Chapter, verse 17, uh, Luke writes and says, the same followed Paul and us. What mm-hmm. what he's talking about there is, is Silas and Timothy and Luke. That's the us. But what this alerts us to the danger of the age is that Silas, Luke, and Timothy, they're not discerning her. They didn't discern her. Paul did. It doesn't say that it doesn't say that all of us were grieved in verse 18, right? Mm-hmm. It simply says Paul was grieved. And this is the danger, right? Because uh, you know how many Christians have we been around in our in our, our our lifetime? They're good, decent people. They're not like street people like us, right? That have or been around, you know, in these circles like you, brother Jeremy, uh, with all the Pharisees and Sadducees you hung out with for so many years, and <laughs> or, the, <laughs> or the street people like like me and Fernando grew up around. I mean, we could tell we could tell something right, right? You know, but there's good people like Paul and, and I mean, like Silas and Luke and Timothy that they would they wouldn't think in those terms so they're they're not even predisposed to understand that that she's really not of god they don't think in those terms but paul discerned it and it's a dangerous thing not to discern it right when we talk about the complexities of spiritual warfare here what is she doing She's appealing to their ego, right? Because she's she's announcing to everyone, these are the men of God. They're not just the men of God. They're the men of the Most High God. And they have the message, right? They show us the way of salvation. Uh, You know, it takes the spirit of discernment to, to overcome Number one, you know, not to walk around and, and and let someone, you know, be your megaphone for you, right? I mean, this grieved Paul. He discerned it. Silas, Luke, and Timothy didn't. That's meant to be cautionary to us. Paul discerns it, and, and, you know, there's many truths we could discern here and that, but for the purpose of our study, let's focus on Paul because really he begins to function as the servant of, of the Lord in the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ by casting out the spirit of the dragon. That's what he does. And it is the spirit of Jesus Christ in Paul that judges the spirit. That's the same thing that's going to happen in our time with this spirit of Babylon. This false church uh, is about to be judged. It has to be. And what this reveals to us is that she will be dealt with. I think that's what we're seeing right now. I think that's what we're witnessing right now. See, <laughs> she has to be dealt with. Her hour of judgment is at hand. 
She's going to have to be removed off the scene. You know, I don't know if the Lord will let us, but the more that we've gone on in these podcasts, we're getting close to just digging into the book of Revelation. I think maybe we're getting close to being ready for that, um, to actually go chapter by chapter and, and look at it, because it's all over the word. You know, these, these allegories, these metaphors, these, these foreshadows. And that's what we're seeing in the 16th chapter. She has to be dealt with. Remember, Lydia is placed in the house. The true remnant church is, is, must come off the scene and, and, and hidden away. I think that's what we're seeing happening right now in this country and around the world. God is, is, is bringing his, his church and hiding her. And then this other church, this false-looking church that attaches itself to the gospel, it will come to the forefront. But what's going to happen to it is it's going to be judged. The spirit of Babylon has come to rest in this nation. And that's really hard for people to understand. That's really hard for people to wrap their minds around. But it is, it is here. And and, uh, and 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 I challenge you, you go read chapter 17 and 18 in your own time, and you tell me what other nation does this sound like. And 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 if you can find something, email us and tell us, oh, this is this is this is, you know, this is whatever. <laughs> it's the Caribbean. I don't know. <laughs> you go tell me <laughs> who fits. Now see now the old timers used to think it was it was Rome itself. Because when when John wrote about the spirit of Babylon, uh, that she she sits upon seven hills, right? And and so they said, well, Rome was built on seven hills. Well, at the time that he wrote, that's where the spirit of Babylon had come to rest. But it's been two thousand years, and and her description is one of a consumer nation. And what makes her different is that she sits upon a geographical territory that's made up of many tribes, many tongues, many languages. There's only one nation on the face of the earth that can, that can lay claim to that. It's not China. Chinese people live in China. <laughs> it's not Russia. Russians live in Russia. I've been to both countries, I know. <laughs> you know, it's not Spain. Spaniards live in Spain. You know what I mean? It's not Italy. Italians live in Italy. There's only one nation. Read that, Brother Jeremy, to us in Revelation chapter, speaking of the spirit of Babylon, this damsel with spirit of divination that's seen here. In Revelation chapter 17, verse 15, when he's talking to John and telling him who this woman is. Uh, in verse 15. And he saith unto me, the waters which thou sawest, where the whore sitteth, are peoples and multitudes and nations and tongues. So she's sitting on waters, and he interprets the waters as being those who uh, are made up of peoples, multitudes, nations, and tongues. And, and so there's only one place like that. It's a place also that earlier or later is described uh, where all the cargo ships of the world come to her port. Mm -hmm. Right? Mm -hmm. I mean, if you read that in, in verse, uh, let's see, she's a consumer nation. Read that in verse 11 of chapter 18. 
And the merchants of the earth shall weep and mourn over her, for no man buyeth their merchandise anymore. She, <laughs> she's a consumer nation. And then it talks about um, the, the, the shipmasters. They're having to stand off of her territory. In verse, uh, in verse 17, some sort of nuclear something is going to happen. That's the best way I can describe it, 17 and 18. Can you read that? Chapter 18? Yes. For in one hour, so great riches is come to naught, and every shipmaster and all the company in ships and sailors, and as many as trade by sea, stood afar off and cried when they saw the smoke of her burning, saying, What city is like unto this great city? So the city that's identified, it's a city. It's a geographical territory where the spirit of, of the whore, the spirit of Babylon has come to rest. Now, the city is, is a megapolis. It's, it's a big territory. And, and also, look at verse 18. She's described as having power over the whole world. In verse 18 of chapter 17. Can you read that, Brother Jeremy? Verse 18 of chapter 17, yes. It says, And the woman which thou sawest is that great city which reigned over the kings of the earth. So again, we have further clues. Now, some of you might be lost going, what has this got to do with the damsel with the spirit of divination? Well, go back and listen to the other two podcasts and you'll, you'll figure it out. But really, we're talking to you about the pattern that's seen in chapter 16, and we're showing you how in the book of Revelation, it's fullness. And what was being hinted at in chapter 16, when those three particular stories are written to us uh, of, of Paul coming to Philippi uh, and Lydia and being secured in the house, the emergence of a damsel that is controlled by the spirit of the dragon, Paul judging her, the, her handlers, her masters lamenting over the fact that they no longer can make money because she's off the scene. Those were all miniature types of what we now see in the fullness, which we're discussing here. In, in, in the book of Revelation of that same spirit of divination. It is the spirit of Babylon. Her identifying marks are all throughout uh, the book of Revelation, but it's also a great city. So, and there's, and there's, there's, there's two laments. It says Babylon is fallen, is fallen, right? And become the habitation of devils. It goes on to say in, in chapter 18, the fact that it's identified twice Babylon is fallen, is fallen, seems to indicate that the spirit exists within this nation where she sits in two particular cities because two cities are identified as fallen. It's two fallings. Well, for those of you who know history, you know that the original capital of the United States of America wasn't Washington, D.C. It was New York City. New York City is the chief financial city of the whole world. Secondly, the other city, Washington, D.C., you'll find interesting, at least so if you do your homework, like Rome of old, Washington, D.C. is built on seven hills, which is an identifying mark in the book of Revelation when, Paul, when John was writing it. And so we believe that we can make an excellent case for the fact that it appears to be that the scripture is telling us that a judgment is coming to both Washington, D.C. and New York City, and that it is going to be judged because 
of its thorough corruption and compromise. And it's, it, it's a nation that is made up of many tribes, tongues, nations, multitudes of languages. And it is a consumer nation like we just read. It is a seducing nation. And it has indeed, from Washington, D.C. and New York City, ruled over the kings of the earth. But her time is running out. Now, <laughs> but Lydia is safe in the house, right? So <laughs> that's what we're going to see. The protection of his church. For, for, for whoever can hear what we're saying, I challenge you to study what we're saying. And, and if you can come up with a better explanation, then that's good, you know, because we're not taking any delight in what we're saying. We're simply revealing what we believe the Lord has, has begun to show us for many years now, actually. So the point is this. She is going to be removed off the scene. And that's that's something that's going to require discernment. Like we said, if you go back to Acts chapter 16, it was Paul who discerned her and understood who she was and what she was controlled by. Silas and Timothy and Luke didn't. But Paul did. Her judgment is at hand. Now, once she is no longer a factor, and we're going to hurry here, the story shifts. And we, we'll talk about her in the coming days, you know, uh, if the Lord allows in, 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 in the ensuing weeks ahead, uh, when we dig deeper into the book of Revelation and do some thorough studies there, Lord willing. But for the purposes of our study, we'll leave her where she is. We've said enough. And I hope it at least spurs you to be inquisitive and, and study. But once she's no longer a factor, the persecution now is directed at Paul. Because what ends up happening when she is removed, um, it fully exposes the real and the true church. This, too, is the pattern of the book of Revelation. Brother Jeremy, could you read to us Acts chapter 16, verse 19 and 21? through 21, and we'll talk about that for a couple of minutes, and then we'll close and pick it up from here tomorrow. And when her master saw that the hope of their gains was gone, they caught Paul and Silas and drew them into the marketplace unto the rulers and brought them to the magistrates, saying, These men, being Jews, do exceedingly trouble our city and teach customs which are not lawful for us to receive, neither to observe being Romans. Now we're going to go quickly here, but this is the pattern of the prophecies of Scripture. This is what it says will happen in the end times, the same thing that happened to them. Notice that persecution arises against Paul based on law, Roman law. Rome representing a global state. According to prophecy, the global state will turn its attention against the true church in our time, just like it did then. And when you read the book of Revelation, you will see that when she is removed, this, this spirit of Babylon, this whore is dealt with and burnt with fire, those two great cities are dealt with, that suddenly uh, the attention is exclusively focused on the true church. And persecution begins to arise. Now, there's two ways of looking at this. One is 
there are those who believe that when the church itself is secured in these last days, that what will happen is, is that the attention then and focus will turn towards the Jews or the nation of Israel. And you can make a good case for that in this story in that now we have Lydia, a Gentile from Thyatira, uh, secured in her house, safely protected by the Spirit of Christ that she's constrained to come into her house. You have the emergence of the spirit of Babylon represented by the damsel with the spirit of divination who is then judged and removed from the scene. And then suddenly our attention is turned towards the Jews. And and that's one way of looking at it. And, and it doesn't do any violence to eschatology or the study of end time events because the Bible indeed tells us that in the final days, that all attention will turn upon the Jewish state of Israel and her very survival will be at stake. She will have no one to rescue her and she will at that time begin to cry out to the Lord and, and recognize through the spirit of grace and supplication, which you can read about in Zechariah, which will be poured out upon her. She will recognize her true Messiah and call for Jesus to rescue her and he will indeed return. Just like he promised he would in Matthew chapter 23, verse 38, I think it is, where he said, You shall not see me here again until you cry, Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Quoting Psalm 118, by the way, to them. But that's one way to interpret it. But there's both here. There's both Jew and Gentile. So whatever way you want to look at it, the point is, is that persecution is coming. And it will come. And it will come on the basis of law. When you read the book of Revelation, that is exactly what happens, is that you will have a global state emerge. You will have a globally sanctioned spirituality begin to emerge. It appears that one of the driving forces of that, known as the false prophet, Revelation 13, 11, will emerge from ancient Rome in the form of one that looks like a lamb, but speaks like a dragon. And we ain't got time to get into all that today, but we're seeing that ecumenical, uh, compromised doctrinal stance taking uh, shape and promoted by the most notable spiritual figure on the face of the planet. We call him the Pope, who has linked himself with the global agenda of the United Nations and the World Economic Forum, and the green, new, uh, neo-paganistic uh, climate change agenda. And under the guise of the Lamb, he is speaking like a dragon and causing uh, the world to come up under the influence of his 2,000-year-old office uh, of, of a pseudo-Christianity. That's why in Revelation 13, 11, we see a system in place, and then a spiritual system arise represented by a false prophet. All of this is there, and, and we'll look at it in the coming days. But that is why we see once the damsel, this, this whore of Babylon, is dealt with, and she's out of the way, suddenly the attention and the persecution increases against the true. And it's up under the basis of law. And, and that's what we see here in that, they come in verse 20 and they bring them to the magistrate saying, these men being Jews, 
they exceedingly trouble our city. If you, if we've been paying attention really over the last several years, the laws on a global scale are already in place. It is the spirit of Antichrist, which the prophets told us would would turn its attention, this spirit of Antichrist, towards the true church, specifically to target and destroy the true church. This is a fact that the prophets reveal will occur. And, and truly, brothers, as we've talked many times, this is something that the American church has been immune from. It is coming. It is building, and the persecution will signal that we've entered the end times. It's, it's, you know, here in America, we don't, we don't see it. You know, someone, you know, yells at us because we're a Christian. We think we're being persecuted. No, man, go over to China where they're actually tearing down their churches and burning their Bibles and jailing their pastors and breaking up their families into re-education camps. Or, or, or go into India where, where Christians are being killed simply for sharing the gospel with a Hindu or in Pakistan or Afghanistan or throughout the Middle East where where just we've seen the last several years where they were ISIS was cutting heads off of those who claim to be believers in Christ. Persecution has been abounding for the last 20, 30 years in, and is escalating. But because we haven't seen it on the shores of America, we don't we, we, we have nothing to, to, to identify with. We we it isn't relevant to us. But it's coming. Trust me, it's coming. And and what we see is this this whole basis for this persecution is going to be directed at the true believer uh, uh, under the basis of law, and that's what they said in verse 21. These these men trouble our city, and they teach customs which are not what lawful in verse 21 for us to receive. And then they identify themselves with the globally uh, the global system by saying uh, we can't receive what they're preaching. We can't do what they're preaching, and we can't do it based on the fact that we are Romans. So the persecution is going to emit from a global citizenry. Those who fall up underneath the spell, if you will, of the spirit of Antichrist and the framework of a global empire. That is what we see. And I think we're well along the way. And 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 those days are going to increase. And and let me tell you something. Right now where we find ourselves uh on the brink in this nation, a nation divided, it really doesn't matter who's gonna win. because uh, either way, what we're going to witness is that they've come too far now. And like we've been putting forth, the only thing standing in the way. The only thing standing in the way from from realizing their their satanically inspired dream of a utopian global uh, uh, system where there's no borders, there's no nation, there's just one state and the elite that control the worker bees <laughs> who come underneath the slavery of their agenda and those who cannot because they know what the scripture says, reject it, they will become the focal point. So you'll have two simultaneously existing concurrent uh, uh, realities within the church. You'll have those that will suffer for the name of Christ, quite possibly being martyred, and you'll have the Lydia secured and hidden in the house, 
only God is going to determine which which one, uh, you know, uh, where we fall under that. But nonetheless, it will happen, and it is coming. And that is what the Holy Spirit is revealing in the, in the prophetic scriptures and in these accounts that we're looking at. And so they end up in prison. <laughs> you know, the Bible talks about a captivity that's coming, Revelation 13, 10. And we're warned. He that leadeth into captivity must be led into captivity. He that killeth by the sword will be killed by the sword. We're being told by the Spirit of God that there is a thing called uh, the, the, the faith and the patience of the saints. It is a trial that will come for a brief period of time, no longer than 42 months, because that's what the Bible teaches us. There's tribulation, then there's great tribulation. And when you get into the Word of God, you'll find out that the Great Tribulation is a three-and-a-half-year period. It is just like Jesus had the public ministry of three-and-a-half years, so the son of the devil will be given his three-and-a-half years. But God has promised to secure his church, and whether we're in the body or out of the body, we're in his presence. Paul and Silas would be taken into prison, and we'll pick it up from here tomorrow. And 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 And, and what we see... Uh, in this story is that at midnight, can you read that to us in verse 25, Brother Jeremy? Yes. Sorry. <clears throat> and at midnight, <laughs> no, no, uh, right when you said that, my computer locked right here. But here we go. All and right. at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God, and the prisoners heard them. Praise God. So what we're being told here, this is the third story of chapter 16, and see the flow now and where we are now. What we know about midnight is it's, remember, midnight is always a prophetic metaphor for both judgment and deliverance. And we'll pick it up from here tomorrow because it's so symbolic what happens there. And it's really a foreshadow of these final times. Once we reach the midnight hour, it's just a matter of, of, of a short time before the daybreak comes, and that's what's going to happen. And as we'll see tomorrow, the encouraging words. And in the end, Lydia is going to reappear again, and we'll talk about that. But at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God. And what's encouraging is what it says next. The prisoners hear them. A great move of God is going to take place, not in the way that we've thought, but in a way that will break the shackles and open the doors and shake the very foundations of the kingdom of darkness. Brothers and sisters, do some homework if you want to. There's 12 midnights in the Bible, six in the Old Testament, six in the New. We'll look at them briefly tomorrow and show you how close we really are by the Spirit of God and His grace to the return of the Lord. Prison of this world is, is about to be shaken and the prison doors are about to be open. Jesus is coming. We pray that we've inspired you to look to the heavens and hope for the salvation that is soon to be revealed. We love you and we look forward to tomorrow and we pray you have a blessed evening, morning, whenever you're listening to this. Brother Jeremy. Amen. We pray that today uh, this study 
uh, and this uh, word from the Lord has again ignited you and given you an insight on the days that we are living. I hope you join us tomorrow as we continue in our study of the word. And as always, may God bless you, may God keep you, and keep looking up.